This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon everybody. Thank you for coming this afternoon. What I'd like to do is uh, start off by presenting um, some videos about the world's perception of peace. Uh, some are music, one is musical and a couple are, are uh, spoken. And I'd like you just to consider some of the themes that are being presented to us as we work our way through this first half. And then what we'll do is we'll go on and move to Psalm 72 and look at the Bible's perspective regarding peace. So that's our first uh, video. It was prepared last year in 2012 and it was all to do uh, with world peace. In fact it was prepared for the World Peace Day last September. Now if we were to look in a dictionary and find the meaning of the word peace we would probably come up with uh, a couple of ideas and the first might be fr freedom from disturbance quiet and tranquility. We might also find a definition that says freedom from or the cessation of war and violence. And we might all be familiar uh, with these type of statements. And we would probably all be in agreement as to what we might understand peace to be. And of course, those very famous words of John Lennon written in 1969, all we are saying 
is give peace a chance. Echoes around the world and yet men and women find it absolutely elusive in terms of trying to establish peace in a world that's largely um, suffers from, from violence. So let's just watch our next uh, clip. We all want verbal peace, but what do we really know about it? Every business will tell you that peace is good for profits, but not many people know exactly why that is. In order to better understand peace, we must first be able to study it and measure it, to capture how it affects other things and how it grows or diminishes. The Global Peace Index was created to do just this. It not only ranks nations for their peacefulness, but also seeks to identify the drivers of peace. These drivers are the things that create the environment for peace to prosper. It's fascinating and groundbreaking stuff. Now that it's fourth year, the index is produced by the Institute for Economics and Peace and collated and calculated by the Economist Intelligence Unit. To date, 144 countries have been ranked using the Global Peace Index. Whilst wandering through Africa, Steve Killalay, the founder of the Global Peace Index, asked himself a simple question. What do peaceful nations look like? Now we can see the highest ranking countries on the Global Peace Index, such as New Zealand and Iceland, have very low levels of internal conflict, cohesive and integrated populations, efficient and accountable governments, high levels of regional integration, high enrolment and attendance in primary and secondary schooling, low levels of corruption, freedom of the press, and respect for human rights. A one-point improvement in the nation's global peace index score adds 1.49 percentage points to a country's annual economic growth. This means we can measure exactly why peace is good for profits and why growing peace is the right kind of investment. So, 2009, in the presentation, the lady said there were 144 nations that were included in the calculations that went to determining what world peace was all about. But for me, the greatest statement that came out of that video that we've just watched is this one here. Peace is good for profit. Nowhere in that video was there any mention of peace being good for men and women. Peace being good for our environment, for the world in which we live, so that men might live together in harmony. It was all about cash. Three years later, in 2012, see the presentation now. So this is the last year. For the first time since 2009, the world this year has become more peaceful according to the 2012 Global Peace Index. Now in its sixth year, the Global Peace Index is the world's leading measure of peacefulness, ranking 158 countries according to 23 indicators of peace. The index gauges the level of safety and security in society, the extent of domestic or international conflict, and the degree of militarization. This year, for the first time in the history of the Global Peace Index, Sub-Saharan Africa is no longer the least peaceful region in the world, and has steadily improved across a number of indicators, including relationships with neighboring countries, availability of small arms, and the number of deaths from conflict. The most peaceful country in the world is Iceland, followed by Denmark and New Zealand, 
small, stable democracies dominate the top ten most peaceful countries. Changes in the top ten this year see Canada move into the top five, Switzerland enter the top ten, and Norway drop from 9th to 18th due to the tragic terrorist acts of July 2011. Since the end of the Civil War, Sri Lanka has become increasingly peaceful, and is this year's biggest riser, moving up almost 30 places. At the other end of the scale, the least peaceful country this year is war-ravaged Somalia, with Afghanistan and Sudan following closely. An interesting trend over the last year shows that while countries have more peaceful relationships with their neighbours, internally they are becoming slightly less peaceful, with increased levels of violent demonstrations, crime and perceived criminality. This is reflected in the Middle East and North Africa, the only region to experience a decline in peacefulness this year due to the wave of revolutionary uprisings and instability caused by the Arab Spring. Egypt, Tunisia and Oman fell significantly on the 2012 index, while Syria was the biggest faller, plummeting more than 30 places to rank 147. We all recognize the incredible burden violence has on humanity, but we don't normally consider the toll it takes on our economy. If the world was completely peaceful in 2011, economic impact would have been around 9 trillion US dollars, equal to the combined size of the world's third and fourth largest economies. While it's difficult for us to achieve a world completely free from violence and conflict, an achievable 25% reduction in violence over the last year would have generated an additional 2.25 trillion US dollars. That's more than enough money to cover the 1 trillion euro allocation still with the European sovereign debt crisis to mitigate the long-term effects of climate change and still have 1 trillion left over. While the numbers associated with the cost of violence are difficult to comprehend, the message is clear. Peace makes sense. In creating the environments that lead to peace, we are also creating optimal environments for human development and well-being. Okay, so I'm hoping that you all saw the strap line, which was basically the most important phrase that came out of that video. And you're all going to nod when you saw the line that said, peace makes sense, didn't it? No, it didn't. It actually said, peace makes sense. And again, we can see, can't we, in, in, in listening to the words of that gentleman, the driver for world peace is all about making money. The fact that he was able to say that we'll be able to save, say, 25% of that huge number that's beyond my comprehension and maybe put that money back into um, all those nations that are suffering um, from famine and drought and, and pestilence and, and famine and earthquakes, etc., uh, it might be good for world peace but it isn't because those cents are taken and ploughed back into industry to make more sense and the concept of peace making sense almost pales into the background as, as men through industry drive to make their businesses more profitable it's interesting that um, that they commented on the, the change, as it were, in this particular area of the world uh, within the Middle East and the problems that we've had over the last 12 to 18 months with, with the rise of the Arab Spring and the collapse of, of many governments in this huge rise amongst uh, men and women to, to stand up against 
the issues that they have in their particular countries and, and consequently some of these names we're not surprised to see rise to the top of what's called the, the Global Peace Index. The bit that really, I guess, surprises me more than anything else, that this phrase was stated by that gentleman, whilst it's difficult for us to achieve a world completely free of violence and conflict, it didn't really, as far as I could tell, seem to figure very largely. And it was almost a throwaway comment, so to speak, that they, even they acknowledge that it's difficult to achieve a world completely free. And yet, outside the United Nations in New York is this wall. And on it are some very well-known words. And the words read, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And year after year after year, these words go unheeded as men and women strive to accumulate more and more wealth and take less and less interest in world peace. If we think for a moment about the United Nations, its name was coined by uh, one of the American presidents, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and it was first used in January 1942 during the Second World War when representatives of 26 nations pledged their government to continue fighting together against the likes of Germany and Italy and Japan. And yet 40 odd years earlier in 1899 there was something called the International Peace Conference and it was held in The Hague in Holland and the purpose of that conference was to, to elaborate instruments for settling crises in the world peacefully, preventing wars and codifying rules of warfare. And yet even after that, there was a forerunner to the United Nations called the League of Nations. And it was an organization conceived in similar circumstances, but during the First World War. And it was established in 1919 under something called the Treaty of Versailles. And its statement was to promote international cooperation and to achieve peace and security. Where's the League of Nations today? Well, it's gone after miserably failing to prevent the Second World War. You see, it's always been the hope and the aspiration of men that peace would eventually take over the world but they're rather narrow-sighted not surprising however that mixed up in these aspirations is our good old optimist humanism and we'll see day by day and as years progress that the humanist position will grow more and more within the minds of men and women not only in this country but throughout the world the idea that there is something innate in each one of us that seeks for peace 
that seeks for the good of everybody else and does not elevate me or self listen to this little video which has now been achieved is, in my view, only the prelude to a larger settlement in which all Europe may find peace. <laughs> this morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. <laughs> Some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but I would just like to read it to you. We, the German Berlin Chancellor and the British Prime Minister, have had a further meeting today and are agreed in recognizing that the question of Anglo-German relations is of the first importance for the two countries and for Europe. <coughs> we regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. <laughs> Thirtieth of September, nineteen thirty-eight, and a year later, after that agreement, following continued aggression from Germany and the invasion of Poland, Europe was plunged into World War Two. So much the idea of one man who saved us from the greatest war of all, and that phrase that goes down in history: "Peace in our time." You see, even when we come forward to today and we read words by this lady, Sonja Egerich, she's the president of the International Humanist and Ethical Union. Whilst I don't want you to read all this at the top, it's this little comment here where she says, humanists have never lost sight of the abiding wisdom that peace starts with the individual and must grow within our communities. It's real, real optimism, isn't it? Because that's not what we actually see in reality, is it? What we actually see in reality is peace makes sense. So what does the Bible say? Because actually that's what we're here to think about, aren't we? What the Bible says about world peace. Well, the prophet Jeremiah wrote this. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me 
to nothing. And these words were written many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, long before there was a, an international humanist and ethical union, long before an international peace treaty in the League of Nations and the United Nations, Jeremiah, speaking, was able to tell us quite clearly about us as individuals that it's not in the way of man to decide what's right and what's wrong because man of himself is selfish there are good people in the world that's undeniable but to a large extent men and women are only interested in themselves and, and what they can get out of life Correct me, O Lord. Jeremiah recognized the good hand of God in his life and the fact that God is able to influence men and women if they will only turn to him and read his words. So is a world of peace possible? Well, let's read words of another prophet. These are the words of the prophet Isaiah. He says, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths the way of peace they know not and there is no judgment in their goings they have made them crooked paths whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace quite stark words really aren't they from the prophet Isaiah but these are the realities of life aren't they this is what God tells us. There is no peace to the wicked. And these words also were written thousands of years ago and yet they are so apt and reflect the generation in which we live today. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament uses these verses here from Isaiah to speak about the same thing but, but he prefaces his use of the words with this phrase there is none that understandeth and there is none that seeketh after God and in a nutshell that's pretty much what's wrong with the world in which we live today there is none that understand and there are few who seek after God in fact, believing in God has become old-fashioned, so to speak. In fact, it's one of the driving forces behind humanism today to tell people that there isn't a God. The very famous Richard Dawkins strapped it on the side of a bus, didn't he? There is no God, so stop worrying about it. That was his view. 
And yet when we turn to the Bible, we can see very clearly that there is a God. And this God is interested in the lives of men and women. He's interested in you and me. And he has provided in the Bible a picture of hope. He has a, he has provided us in this book a hope of coming world peace. Because peace makes sense. These very famous words written by Isaiah about the Lord Jesus Christ present to us a time of peace. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this this is a wonderful picture that's far beyond the imaginations of many men and women and yet here described by the prophet Isaiah is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ the son of God that the government of a future age the government of the kingdom of God that's going to be set up on earth is going to be ruled over by someone who is called the prince of peace and his government is going to be based on peace that it's going to be based on judgment and true justice and that that kingdom which he will order and which he will establish will last forever so let's come to the chapter then please that we read by way of introduction Psalm 72 and let's just have a look at what the psalmist has to say to us about this time of peace here on the screen is a, a, a brief analysis of the chapter to help us to understand what it is that the psalmist is focusing our minds on so to start with it's a prayer of David in verses 2 to 7 he's talking about Jesus Christ's righteous rule over the nation of Israel God's chosen people verses 8 to 14 speak of Jesus Christ's dominion over all the lands and over all people so the whole world verse 15 the response of people verse 16 the blessings that will come upon the earth and then the last few verses praise to God verse 1 give the king thy judgments O God and thy righteousness unto the king's son and the king is the Lord Jesus Christ he is the one 
that we read from Isaiah chapter 9 who is going to sit upon David's throne it was the promise that was made to Mary when we read those opening verses in the gospel of Matthew before the child was born she was told by the angel that he was going to be called Jesus and that God would give to him the throne of his father David and that he would sit and reign upon that throne forever and this is the king that we are introduced to here in verse 1 first of all he will reign over the people of God the people of Israel keep a mark in Psalm 72 because we'll come back there and turn over please to Jeremiah 33 Jeremiah 33 and verse 6 God says behold I will bring it that's the nation of Israel health and cure and I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth and I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at the first I will cleanse them from their iniquity whereby they have sinned against me and I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me and it shall be to me a name of joy a praise and an honour before all the nations of the earth which shall hear all the good that I do unto them that they may fear and tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto it so I'm going to reveal an abundance of peace and truth and did you notice at the end of verse 9 whilst it doesn't say peace in your Bible that's the word and for all the peace the word prosperity there is the Hebrew word shalom it's the greeting that's used between Jewish people it's a greeting of peace and God says this is what I'm going to do I'm going to bring peace to the nation of Israel and this is going to be the work of the Lord Jesus Christ back in Psalm 72 he talks about mountains bringing peace to the people and little hills by righteousness and, and these are picture words so to speak of a time when peace will be brought to the nation of Israel it's the prophet Isaiah in, in chapter 52 and verse 7 says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publisheth peace that bringeth good tidings that publisheth salvation and so the context the opening context of this chapter speaks to us of a time of change that's going to come about upon the nation of Israel we don't see them at peace at the moment do we I don't know whether you were listening to um, the, the news today but 
Israel have sent um, more planes to bomb Syria there isn't peace in that area is there is there any is there ever any likelihood that there will be peace well not under the current order of things peace will only come about when the Lord Jesus Christ is in the earth this is what we're reading about that's his role he is going to be the prince of peace notice verse 4 of Psalm 72 he's going to judge the poor of the people he's going to save the children of the needy and he's going to break in pieces the oppressor see this is going to be the result of the reign of Messiah he's going to bring about a time of peace and safety but it will only come through the work of God it can't come through the work of men and governments of this world come into Acts chapter 3 please keep a mark in 72 because we'll come back again Acts chapter 3 we're now in the presence of the Apostle Peter the Apostle Peter speaks about these changes that are going to come not only in the nation of Israel but throughout the whole world verse 19 where he says repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and, and he will send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution or rebuilding the, rebuild, the rebuilding of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began and so we've been reading David in the Psalms he was a prophet we've been reading Jeremiah we've been reading Isaiah these are all the prophets who have been speaking about these times since the beginning of the world back to Psalm 72 please he shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth in his days shall the righteous flourish and an abundance of peace so long as the moon endures and he'll have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth and, and the psalmist is presenting us this wonderful picture of the righteous rule of the Lord Jesus Christ when the effects of his government will bring about this time of peace a time of refreshing a time when all those countries who are antagonistic towards one another will be squashed so to speak his enemies verse 9 it says shall lick the dust verse 11 all kings shall fall down before him all nations shall serve him and the following verses speak of a wonderful time when those in need the poor of this world 
will be saved will be looked after will be redeemed there's a beautiful psalm that speaks of this time it's psalm 122 and some of the words of this psalm will sing together at the end of our meeting Psalm 122 and verse 6 the psalmist says pray for the peace of Jerusalem they shall prosper that love thee peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces for my brethren and companions sake I will now say peace be within thee in our first video we saw all these pictures these pictures of smiling faces these pictures with those captions with the world's view of what peace is all about this psalm that we've just read together pray for the peace of Jerusalem encapsulates the Bible message for men and women as their hearts fail them for fear as we read the words of Jesus Christ when men will look around them in the world and they'll wonder what on earth's going on 2,000 years ago he wrote that men's hearts would fail them for fear and for looking after those things that are coming on the earth and yet the Bible contains this wonderful message of peace so that men's hearts might not fail them for fear that they might have a hope in this troubled world this is what everybody wants we're not quite sure how we might achieve it by men's standards but that's what we want isn't it we want peace we want a world free from trouble don't we want a time when we read they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore well Jesus Christ is coming again of that we can be assured the angels spoke to those men as they saw him ascend into heaven why stand ye gazing up into heaven this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye see him go into heaven and today we live on the very eve of his return yes we see a world of turmoil we see all those statistics where peace makes sense where for them peace doesn't make sense it does to you and me because we have the word of God to read this is our hope and our expectation 
and by the grace of God we are able to echo those words that we find right at the end of our Bibles even so come Lord Jesus and we long don't we for that great and glorious day when he will be in the earth again when the Prince of Peace will be here to sweep away all the issues and all the problems that we see around us that have been engendered by mankind and what will be ushered in will be a time of righteousness and peace it's what the world needs and it's what God has promised for each one of us thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times go to our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk Thank you.